It is good to be here with you this morning. I count it an honor and privilege as always to handle the Word of God, especially here. I am in deeply indebted to um, Nebraska Christian, obviously, for training up my children alongside. The, it's, not the, it's not the school's job to raise my children in godliness. That's my job. But I'm thankful for a Christian school that comes alongside the parents to do that. Secondly, you have some really good Bible teachers, so I would strongly make sure you're paying attention in class and making sure you're, um, good grief, I hate this thing, okay, make sure that you're going through and, and listening and paying attention as the Word of God is instructed to you. Also, I think, I, it says duo day, right? Yeah, I think, I think I found my favorite costume, oh, it's right here. Young lady, would you stand up for me, please? Isn't that a wonderful costume right there? Go Hawks. There you go. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> Reading from the ESV, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Let's open this morning in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You and we thank You for this opportunity to gather uh, at school to listen to the Word of God openly. Lord, apart from the Word, we have no hope. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. And Lord, this morning as we continue our study of Philippians, I pray for two things. I pray that those of us who know Christ may be strengthened in our faith, may we be convicted as necessary, and may you help us to be more like your Son. And Father, this morning I also pray for those here who do not know Christ, that they may see their need for Jesus even today. We pray, Lord, for the ministry of the Word that will not return void. And it's in Christ's name, amen. You have had some really good Bible teaching up to this point. Mr. Zanger started you off with a hermit. He had, I don't know how, he had two sermons. I remember I was here for that day. He got a hermeneutics lesson and an inter how to listen to preaching and, and an introduction. You've heard from Dan Wood. You heard from uh, Mr. Falk, Mr. Ostrand, uh, Mr. Mankin. And last week you examined uh, with Pastor Amon uh, chapter 2. Uh, verses uh, 5 through 11, the, the self-gnosis, the, 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 the humbling of Christ. And my assignment that I've been handed today is verses 12 and 13. Now, real quick here, when you graduate, most of you are probably going to go to uh, college and, and, and get a job at some point, or you may get a job. How many of you work now, by the way? Anybody? There's a bunch of jobs opening. I don't know if you've seen the signs. Okay. When you get a job, usually what happens is you get hired and then they instruct you on this is what you need to do. Uh, I've held a lot of different jobs in my life and mostly been in ministry, but there's been times I know when I was in high school, I worked for a Hy-Vee uh, and, and I at the time hated it. Uh, Hy-Vee, I, I, I worked from 4 to 10 on Saturdays and no one loves doing that. I remember one time waking up in the, mor waking up in the middle of the night 
ask in, in my dreams thinking paper or plastic as I bag people stuff. I mean, it just it was that bad. Like this is not good at all. I've I've worked for FedEx. I worked for FedEx Ground as a package handler. I worked for uh, FedEx Freight. Um, there's an embarrassing video of me somewhere. They had to have kept it. You know, it was like people do bad stuff at work. At FedEx Freight, they train you to drive a forklift. And forklifts are actually not that hard to drive at all, but there's some basic rules. Number one, you ha- you're in charge of the levers, and the levers make the forklift, the, 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 the forks go up and down, and you can angle it, right? So if you need to pick something up and whatever. And it says, listen, when you're, when you're driving the forklift, make sure that they're no more than six inches off the ground and make sure that they're pointed down. Because if not, you can hurt somebody. You don't like sever someone's foot. That's an awkward way to have an incident report. Anyways, so I had to leave. They said, hey, we need you to, uh, my, my forklift's got some issues. And he says, hey, I want you to take your forklift and drive it across the parking lot over to the maintenance shop. Oh, this is great. I can do this. So I took, I was going over, I was joyriding, you know, man, this is great, you know, life's good. And as I get over there, all of a sudden I hear this, doof. And what had happened was, because I was not careful, I had taken the fork of my, uh, of my forklift and speared the tire of a massive uh, tra- semi-truck. And so rather than do the honest thing and come in and tell my boss what I had done, I slowly just backed away and walk back into the building. And so uh, they're probably thinking, who did this? And the tape's going to show some really awkward man just kind of running away from the scene of the crime. That's me. But usually when you have a job, there's instructions such as, hey, you need to, uh, this is going to be your job, I'm going to train you, and now you do it. And that really is how things work. But when it comes to the Christian life, as we're going to see in verses 12 and 13, as Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, It's not that God saves us and instructs and lets us go. What we're going to see is that God saves us, and then he works in us and through us. We do not live the Christian life under our own strength, nor are we to be passive. What what we're going to see here is some really, really deep truth, and, and I wish I had more time to expound on it. But at the end of the day, what we're going to see is that your Christian life is God working in you and through you. And you being a willing participant. I want to start with verse, my, my, t- my message, I, message titles are interesting. I've got a Puritan title because it's like really long. My title is Work Out Your Own Salvation Because God Works in You. I'll say that again for those of you taking notes. Work out your own salvation because God works in you. I'm going to start with verse 12. He says in verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in in my so sorry, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He starts verse 12 with a conjunction. It's therefore. And what that means is that he's tying us into what we've just seen. New thoughts in in the Bible in in paragraphs don't start with therefore. So the therefore is going to connect us to something. So what's he connecting us to? Well, he's actually connecting us back to the passage we've already seen. In fact, you could argue all the way back to verse 27 of chapter 1. If you'll notice here, again, the self-kenosis, the self-emptying that's often referred to um, that Pastor Amen did last week of the the incarnation and the exaltation of Jesus in verses 5 to 11. That beautiful hymn that's there. 
And so what he's going to say is going to tie back into that. So he says, therefore, in light of what you've just seen, he says, my beloved, it's a term of endearment. The people at Philippi were, were loved by God and loved by Paul. If you, if you remember the story in Acts about how uh, Paul's trials and, and the Philippian jailer and just all that Paul went through, he, these people had labored with him and they loved him. They were loved by God, and they were loved by Paul. Brothers and sisters, can I just say as a, as a side note, you need to love the church. Some of the closest people in your life will be your brothers and sisters. My, my brothers and sisters at Grace Bible Fellowship are closer to me than my own family. Not my daughter. I mean, you're, she's here. I mean, that's it. But I mean, my extended family. It says, therefore, my beloved, then he says this, as you have always obeyed, he's going to talk about the, the past now, that you, as you've always obeyed. What a testimony. This, this ties us back to verse 8. Because you look at verse 8 of chapter 2, it says, And being found in human form, this is Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Our Christian life, the ultimate example of obedience, is none other than Jesus Christ. That seems odd to say, but that's the truth. Christ obeyed the Father and has set an example for us as how we are to live. And so Jesus is our ultimate example. Yes, even Paul will say, follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because Christ is the ultimate example. And he says, as you have always obeyed, when the people who made up the church at Philippi, had first heard the gospel, they were zealous to follow Christ. If, if, if you're here and you know Christ, you may remember that when you first came to Jesus, when you first heard the gospel call, and it was actually something that you had desired, that, it, that you realized you were a sinner, and you realized the law of God had just broken you, but you realized what God had done through Christ, and that when you repented and you believed, and, and when your sins were just lifted off of you, and the joy that brought, you, you just want to zealously tell others about Him. You want to live for Him. You want to obey. That word obey is rather interesting. It's made up of two words. The Greek word akuo, which means to listen or to hear. And the prefix Hypo, which means under. You're to listen under. What, what, what does that mean? When you trust Christ as your Savior and you submit to the Lordship of Jesus, what you're going to do now is you're going to listen to what He says and you're going to follow Him. We live in a day and age about autonomy. Do your own thing. Secular music has always promoted this. Uh, I, I knew I grew up in it. I used to love the music. I was born in the 80s. Uh, the music in the 90s was my thing. And it was, it was a big push for you, 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 your own autonomy. Do your own thing. We've got iPhones, iPads. You, you can re record TV and you can watch it on demand whenever you want to. But it's not about us. The Christian life is anything but about us. It's about following Christ and, and doing what he wants. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? You'll do your own thing. No. If you love me, what? You keep my commandments. The Christian life is a life of obedience. And that's not boring, by the way. It's joy. 
It's liberating to know how, when God gives you the guidelines and says you enjoy life this way. He says in verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, he says, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, Paul says, you, you, you followed Christ faithfully while I was with you. It's always easier to follow Jesus when the instruction, you come to Christ and there's excitement and, and you're being instructed on what it means to follow Christ and how this works out. But now he's gone and he says, but now that I'm gone, much more in my absence, I really, really need you to focus on this. And then this is where we get our imperative, the one imperative in this whole section. He says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, here it is, work out your own salvation. Now this phrase here, these five English words here in the ESV, have caused problems over the years. I'm going to tell you right now what this doesn't mean. This does not mean that you put forth effort so that you can earn your salvation. We need to get this clear right now. Salvation is totally dependent upon the grace of God. The Old Testament is clear that your good works are nothing but filthy rags. You cannot earn or acquire your salvation. It's humanly impossible. Paul writes in Romans 3, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but because, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It's almost like every letter he wrote, he has to remind people, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. And then he goes to another place. Hey, what did you mean by you can't do it? Here, let me spell it for you. You can't do it. There's, there's nothing good you can do. So if I can't earn my salvation, what's he talking about? Work out your own salvation, verse 12. What he means to say is live out the faith you possess. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. In other words, to work out your salvation means to live the Christian life that you claim to, own, to claim to have. If you say you are a follower of Christ, there should be evidence of it. I'm going to make a comment, or a statement, not a comment, a statement. And this statement hits at the heart of American Christianity. You cannot claim to be a Christian and be passive towards the things of God. You cannot claim to be a Christian and be passive toward the things of God. Again, I don't have time to get into it, but we need to understand that when you, were, when you placed your faith in Christ, you were justified. It's a legal, a legal thing. You were declared righteous before God. Guilty, free, praise God. 
sanctification is two things. Number one is the act of God setting you apart for himself. Your mind, you've been bought with the price, so he takes you. And so not only are you set apart, but now you start this journey of pursuing Christ-likeness, which is the goal of your salvation. You grow and grow and grow as you learn and learn and obey. You become more like Christ. But the problem is you've got a lot of people who say, well, I can be saved and then not show any evidence of it. I don't have to do anything. In fact, there are some churches who will say things like, you just need to let go and let God. It sounds great, but it's terrible theology. You need to be disciplined to put effort in once you've come to Christ. Like I said before, he says, work out your own salvation. You've been saved. Now live out the faith that you've been instructed and that you know. Students, again, I say this in love. Most of you have had me for um, uh, a substitute teacher. Um, again, I, I apologize. Sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. I'm trying to get a lot better at it. You know I love to joke. And if you know I love to joke, you, if you know me, you know I love you. Listen to me. I'm going to say this in love. If you have no desire to go to church, if you have no desire to read your Bible, if you have no desire to grow in the Word, if you have no desire to see unbelievers come to Christ, and if you call yourself a Christian, you have no idea what it means to be a follower of Christ. Don't tell me you are a follower of Christ. Don't tell me if you're a Christian, if you have no desire to do what Christ has called us to do. I know how Christian schools work. You can say the right lingo. You can do all the right things. And still not know Christ. He tells us what our inner man's disposition is supposed to be. Like, Pastor Clint, seriously, I mean, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. And agree, agreed to that. But we need to see, are you genuinely saved? Because look what he says in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my, in, in my absence, work out your own salvation. Well, what's your inner man disposition to this? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what do we mean by that? That, that doesn't mean that you walk around all scared of God. What he's getting at is this, is that it, it means that you have reverence and awe. When you come to Christ, the, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And when you realize the theological truth that God lives in me, and now I am required to live in light of the truth of God's Word, that should be a, a good scary. That should cause me to think through my decisions. It should, it should make me honestly concerned. Am I honoring God with my life? If we've been bought with the precious blood of Christ and we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, seeking to honor God in all things should be a consistent and conscious priority. You should always be concerned. Does my actions and thoughts honor Christ? Paul argued clearly in Romans that playing fast and loose with the grace of God, has, the playing fast and loose with the grace that God has extended to us is a no-go. Romans 1, Romans 6, I'm sorry. What shall we say then? Are we to sin that grace may abound? God forbid, by no means, however you want to translate that word. 
So Paul's telling them, he says, you need to work out your own salvation. Live the life that you claim to know. Because remember, the church at Philippi had issues. Gosh, I've been to so many churches. I'll tell you right now, we all have issues. <laughs> I tell people all the time, Grace Bible Fellowship is not a perfect church. And we tell, you've probably heard this before. You know, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Right? And so, and we tell people, we're not a perfect church. But we at Grace Bible Fellowship, we strive to be a healthy church. And actually, we'll try to scare people away from membership. We take the gospel seriously. And if you just want to fit in, we may not, and just kind of sit back, you, we may not be the place for you. Because there's a standard, not because of us, but because of what God says. But then he's going to do this in verse 13. He says, you need to live out the faith that you, that you claim to know. But then he's going to tell you why we can do that. So verse 13 really functions to show us the explaining. Verse 12 again, real quick. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? How can I do this? Explain it to me. I'm glad you asked. Verse 13. For, there's your conjunction. It's going to explain. For it is God who works in you. The Greek word here for work is where we get our English word energy. It is God who energizes you. In other words, you need to live the Christian life that God has called you to live because God energizes you to do it. You say, that's pretty profound. I say, indeed it is. But it's going to get even more profound. You ready? If you got a highlighter, if you draw on your Bible, this is the moment for it. You ready? For it is God who works in you. It's in you. If you're, if you're in Christ, he's in you through the Holy Spirit. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What verse 13 teaches us that you and I are wholly dependent upon the grace of God. Verse 13 shoots any sort of pride that should, that should not be in any of us as believers. I think D.A. Carson said it best. We're so good about doing good works, and then we're so good about injuring ourselves, patting ourselves on the back in the process of it. Hey, you know, I did a devotion the other day. Did you hear about it? Or, hey, I helped, I helped this, the, we went over to this person's help, house and we did all this stuff for them. Did, I did a good job, didn't I? Or, or we do all this stuff when we boast about our Christian life. Brothers and sisters, here's a shock. According to verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One commentator says it well. Our dependence on divine activity for sanctification is nowhere made as explicit as it is here. To begin with, God's work is viewed as having a causal relation to our working. Meaning what? Our activity is possible only because of His activity. I work for the glory of God only because God works in me. And the only reason that any of us in here 
who know Christ as our Savior do the good things that God asks of us is because He's doing it through us. And it's not, verse 13, not just the will, it's the will. In other words, He gives you the desire. You don't even have the desire to follow Christ on your own. It comes from Him. In our natural flesh, we don't love God. We don't want God. And if you can... If you can stand here and say, Jesus is Lord, guess what? You didn't do that on your own. It's the Spirit that showed you that. And he says, listen, you need to work this out, and you can do it, because in verse 13, Paul says, God gives you the will to do it, and he's the one that does it. So good news. Every good work you do for the glory of God It's all God in you. Praise God. All those sinful things you do, that's on you. Meaning what? If there's any good thing in me at all, any good works, it's Christ in me. Our desire to honor God and to grow in Christ comes from God himself. Brothers and sisters, I want to make this clear. God is not passive in our lives. There's a lot of people who believe that once we get saved, God just kind of is hands off and just kind of watches things go. That's not the Bible. He's very hands on. He's very active. In fact, he's so active. He's the one that gives me the daily desires. He's the one that works in me and gives me the strength to do it. He energizes me. So here in verses 12 and 13, you've got the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility. And how that goes together, I don't know. But I know it's not me. I have a responsibility to be faithful, but I also know it's God, totally of God. And then he says this in verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to work. And then he says this. For his good pleasure. The sovereignty of God in full display. It's a truth to meditate on. It brings God pleasure to work in us and through us. Again, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. He, he saved us, and He made us, and He molded us. For we are His workers, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. When? Which God prepared. When? Beforehand. That what? That we should walk in them. It's all of God. So students, I'm going to give you three questions, and you can use them in your breakout groups and e-groups, by the way, which I think are great. Number one, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven? Have you, do you understand that you're a sinner and that Christ has, that you're a sinner and that you cannot please God and earn in God's salvation? Do you understand that Christ has died for you, uh, paying the sacrifice, he atoned for your sins, he rose again and he's coming again? Have you, have you leaned into, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Which leads to question number two now. So basically, are you saved? Okay, that's one. If you said yes to that, what evidence is there 
that you're saved. You can verbally tell me you're saved, but I'm the glass half-empty guy. Prove it. How are you working out your salvation? I got three little sub-questions underneath that one. One, what are your desires? What are your desires? Two, what do your actions say about you? So you say you're following Jesus, but you're looking at pornography. Red flag. Hey, uh, you know, I, I, I follow Jesus, but I love the dirty jokes. Red flag. Hey, I, I say I'm a follower of Christ, but my Bible's got more dust on it than the back of my dad's car. Red flag. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying we need to talk about some things. Listen, I get it. I was your age a long time ago, 20 years ago maybe. And I, I was saved and I struggled. But there was some evidence. And if you're here and perhaps you are a believer and you're struggling, we need to talk about repentance. God, forgive me and, and do what I'm supposed to do. This leads to the third, third thing. Have you trusted Christ? What evidence in there? The number three, do you understand just how dependent you are on, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Do you understand just how dependent you are on God for everything? Do you understand just how dependent you are on God for everything? Because verse 13 makes that explicitly clear. It is God who gives us the desires and that gives us the strength to do what we're supposed to do. And I pray that as you reflect on that point alone, that it, it creates a deep humility and gratitude for God. And let me just close with this so you can go to your regroups. So don't tune me out yet. Faculty and students. Can I just remind you, specifically faculty, because we're, you guys are going to be living as examples to the students, but we all need to hear this. Faculty and students, it is a joy. It is a joy to be an instrument in the hand of God himself. Let's not forget that. It is a joy to be an instrument in the hand of God himself. I pray we will all grow to have a deep appreciation for just how, just how hands-on God is in our lives. And may that crush our pride. May we never forget that we are debtors to God's magnificent grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning just to get together to open the Word of God. And I pray... The Word of God will not return void. And I pray if there's a student here that does not know Christ as their Savior, that they may come talk to me or to their e-group leader, to a friend. Uh, talk to one of the teachers, Lord, saying, I want to get this right. I want to repent and believe. If there are those here who know Christ, who are just, you know, hey, I'm not following Jesus as I'm supposed to, Lord, I need to repent. Because we've all been there. May they confess their sins and do what's right. Do the first work. And Lord, in all of this, may we glorify and honor you. And it's in Christ's name. Amen.